0: <laughs> Good morning, it's 10.06 so we need to get started. Uh, this morning we're doing Chastity, the Virtue of Ill Repute. Uh, my, I'm Bethany Erickson, if you don't know me, my husband Joel did last week on Lust, um, <laughs> true. Uh, I am going to read a verse and then give us some time for meditation, as um, Matt Milliner instructed us, and then I'll pray and then we'll dive in, okay? Our verse to begin is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Come, Holy Spirit, and give us ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. Lead us into your truth and show us the way of salvation. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Chastity does not sound like virtue anyone really wants. Uh, I had tried to come up with an image in my mind of what I thought of when I thought of chastity, and they were mostly negative in our culture. I mean you know the, I was trying to think of you know it's, it seems to evoke prudish, uptight non fun people um, and i I really considered, do we even think this is a virtue anymore <laughs> um, We've kind of subtracted it out of our vision of what it means to live the good life, which is full of sexual fulfillment and happiness. So my first goal this morning is just to expand our imagination to get a glimpse of what chastity really is and why it is this desirable attractive virtue, Um, a renewing of our minds, if you will. Uh, I also need to give a shout out and thanks to Pope John Paul II. Uh, His Theology of the Body is where I'm getting basically all of this. Uh, So for more resources, JP2. Okay. First, some definitions. Chastity is an exercise in self-mastery, the discipline of desire for bodily pleasure. Now, this is, as Joel was talking uh, last week, as lust as this excess and a disordered desire, uh, chastity is the rightly ordered desire that is within appropriate boundaries. And it's sexual integrity, meaning it's the unity of body, soul, and will. So the opposite of that is not unlike what Paul describes in Romans, where I the good that I want to do I do not do, but that which I hate I do. Um, I think we have to say as Christians that our bodies mean something. And so if, for instance, you're having kind of random, uncommitted sex with someone, your body is saying something to that person. Your body is saying one thing, but your will and your soul, all the rest of you, is saying something else. And so Christ says, no, we want all of that to be integrated together. Your body, your soul, and your will singing together. Um... I wanna also clarify that uh, chastity is not the same as celibacy or abstinence. Um, Virtue is a muscle, right? So we strengthen our muscle by exercising it, and that's how we grow the muscle. And this was really revolutionary to me to think about because if I thought of my own life at like 18, um, I was celibate. And less virginal, clearly, or more virginal, clearly, than I am now. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Uh, more virginal. Uh, but I was not more chaste, I don't think. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I've actually grown in chastity through nine years of marriage than when I was 18 and just kind of not knowing what to do with all of my desires. Um, And I also like the fact that chastity, if we view chastity as a a muscle, so to speak, um, you can grow in that, as opposed to, I was really raised in the I kiss, Dating Goodbye youth group purity talk, and again, if we go back just in time, at 18, I was very pure in some sense, and there's almost, I mean, in that kind of model, there's nowhere to go but downhill from there. You know, you're, you're, you're just going to be less pure from there on out. I mean, conceptually at least. Uh, but if you're thinking of it in terms of chastity, you can see clearly how you can grow in chastity and in exercising that virtue. Okay. Chastity means we love God and other people more than we love our own pleasure or self fulfillment chastity is the way we love others with our whole self okay
1: I have a question yeah is, is there any other example of chastity outside of sexual desire well i mean i can toss y- after a car but
0: yes for i no, in this I for chased? the for the for the purposes of this lesson, we're going to be talking about <laughs> sexual chastity, because I think, <laughs> um, yeah, because I mean, you, you're right that there is just disordered desire for a bunch of different things that we can, you know, talk about, but we can talk about greed or gluttony, for instance, but i got to be focused this this morning. Okay. This is the garden. Uh, I thought it would be helpful to go back to the beginning and to remember how God made the world. Uh, So we have Adam and Eve walking with the Father in the garden in the cool of the day, naked and unashamed. In Eden, okay, Each person is seen and known in their full humanity as a beloved child of God made in his image. Male and female, he created them. We are lovingly made, and no matter what our body looks like, chastity means our bodies are honored. Now, there are some obvious things we can say. There's no divorce. There's no adultery. There's no sexual abuse. There's no rape or sex trafficking or prostitution or pornography or abortion. I think all of these kind of filter through chastity. Um, But for a positive view, okay, let me say a few things. No man or woman ever sells their body, and no one ever looks upon another person as something to be bought. No one is ever reduced to their sexual appeal or their sexual function for another person. Um, Every child is welcomed into a family with a biological mother and father in a loving unit. No one feels the need to take a self-defense course or buy a can of pepper spray to keep in their purse. Masculinity is not defined or measured by sexual conquests or sexual appeal, and neither is femininity. And no man is ever looked upon with suspicion around children. And no child suffers from sexual abuse of any kind. Everyone, body and soul, is honored, respected, and protected. Now we note that Joel talked about exploitation. The opposite of exploitation is protection. Okay. This is a chaste world. And this is the world that God made. It's not the world we live in. For not only does sin enter this world, but death has entered. And Adam and Eve, suddenly aware of their nakedness, are cast out of the Garden of Eden. It's a story we all know too well. So how does the story end? How does our story end? That's a rhetorical question. Hold on. It ends, as we say every week, with the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. And this brings me to part two. But you might be thinking, is this still about chastity? <laughs> uh, and I want to say yes. <laughs> but I was surprised, too, that the resurrection would figure so prominently in this talk okay let's go to Paul again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 he says the body however is not meant for sexual immorality but for the Lord and the Lord for the body by his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also Note how quickly Paul moves from sexual immorality to the resurrection. It's right there. This is deep. Resurrection is the organizing principle for Paul's sexual ethics. And he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which you're going to have to read at home because I can't go through it all. Um, But he repeatedly recommends celibacy. He would like everyone to be as he is, single, okay? Uh, but he grants that marriage is not sinful. <sighs> yeah, it's in, it's in chapter 7 that he says uh, famously that it's better to marry than to burn with passion, okay? Uh, he also says that in this present age, okay, we should all say stay in the state in which we were called. And he gives several examples. He says... If you were married when you came to Christ, you should not seek to be unmarried. If you were single when you came to Christ, you should not seek to be married. If you were uncircumcised when you came to Christ, you should not seek to be circumcised. And if you are circumcised, there's nothing you can do about it, but you should just remain as you are. In in every case, it doesn't matter, right? There is no need to change your status in Paul's understanding of this time. And that's the advice he gives to the Corinthians. Now, he of course does say, um, you know, he who marries a virgin does not sin. So all of us married people can relax. Uh, But it is pretty radical, I think, what Paul is saying. And it's radical in a couple of ways. One, it struck me because in the American evangelical church today, I think we do great at integrating families into the life of the church. And single people just, we don't really quite know what to do other than try to get you married. Okay. Paul would have none of that. (laughs) Paul doesn't seem to have this problem of trying to integrate single people into the church. Okay. Okay. And the second point I would say is that Paul, what the argument Paul is making here is in stark contrast to the Old Testament and Jewish understanding, okay? In Judaism, you get married. The first commandment the Lord gave Adam and Eve in the garden, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And if you think in the, that Old Testament term, it's all about the promised children inheriting the land. God's faithfulness endures through all generations, and the covenant is continued with the literal offspring of Israel. Okay? You needed children to inherit the land. Okay? That was just key to their understanding of God's promises and how the covenant worked. Pause there, let's go to Luke. (laughs) Jesus is being uh, annoyingly questioned by the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, okay? And they try to give him a hard time by asking, well, there's this woman, and let's say she's been married seven times, whose husband would she be in the resurrection? And Jesus says... You've got this all wrong. (laughs) The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection of the dead neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. Jesus' whole argument here rests on the presupposition that marriage is for procreation. John Chrysostom of the 4th century, I believe, said, where there is death, there is marriage. Because of death, we need to reproduce ourselves in this world. Very basic. Okay? And our only life after death is through our children. Okay? But Jesus says in the resurrection, we will no longer be married. We will no longer die. We will have no need to reproduce ourselves and the whole covenant has been reworked. At the resurrection, marriage is made obsolete. And perhaps I should say that at the resurrection, we will all be married to God himself. Okay. Now, what is marriage for? This is straight JP2. You got two reasons. Procreation, continuing the generations of God-covenant people, And sanctification, you want to train the husband and wife in holiness and virtue. I know this is not romantic, and I really, really, really wanted to add a point number three to this slide and talk about loving and supporting one another. Okay. (sighs) And I do think certainly that Christian marriage should be characterized by sacrificial love as Christ loved the church, and we'll touch on that in a minute. But the call to love each other as Christ loved us is not unique to married people, actually. We are all called to love each other as Christ loved us. We are all called to lay down our lives for the good of other people. You don't have to be married to do those things. We are all called to honor one another above ourselves. Okay. So the theological meaning of marriage is intended by God to be a living icon, an image that points to something beyond itself, of the free, total, fruitful, and faithful love between Christ and his church. It's free because it's uncoerced. It's total because it holds nothing back. It's fruitful because the church can only bear good fruit in union with Christ. And it's faithful as Christ is faithful to us. So let me go back to what I said a few minutes ago. In the resurrection, we will all be married in some mysterious and yet real sense to the Lord himself. We look forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So there are two ways we can bear witness to the resurrection. One is through marriage as an icon of Christ and his church and another is in singleness in anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Both married and single people share this vocation to bear witness to the resurrection, to testify with our very bodies of the story of redemption. Single people witness to the resurrection by their very chastity. Again, this is not just celibacy, as you can be lustful without having sex, as Joel discussed. Um, But I would also add that our society has idolized sexual pleasure to such a degree that it's made it a key ingredient of our sexual fulfillment and sexual actual, or self-actualization to the degree that it's almost like you can't be a full human person if you're not having sex. Um, I think Mother Teresa would beg to disagree I think you can be your best self without sexual fulfillment in this life, but it is a radical thing. So I really want to encourage single people um, that your chastity is so important because it's such a witness to the gospel, Um, it's a witness to transcendence, to God's existence. Satan really wants to steal it. You are not worshiping the God of this world, and everyone can see it. Uh, Married people witness the resurrection by loving each other as Christ loves the church. Um, And okay. John Paul II also has this neat bit about the Trinity where he talks about how the father loves the son so much and the son returns that love to the father and that love that bonds the two together is so powerful that it becomes a third person of the Holy Spirit. Okay. In our own mortal way, not to say this is perfect, perfectly analogous, but the husband loves his wife so much, and the wife returns that love. And that love is so powerful that in nine months, they might have to give that love a name. So we are all called to love each other. We're all called, albeit, albeit in different ways, to cooperate with God to bring life into the world and we are all called to offer our fertility to God. Um, as a mother of three, I can tell you that it can be burdensome to bring life into the world, um, and, but single people, if your burden is, or if you don't have kids, if your burden is greater than mine, may it be that God can bring yet more life to the world through you. Uh, Dr. Wesley Hill is a fellow Wheaton alum um, and New Testament uh, professor says it this way, uh, skipping the earthly preview that is marriage, believers can now jump straight to the main event of the marriage supper of the Lamb, pinning all their hopes on the undying community to come and giving up sexual intimacy in the meantime. So to review, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes Joel with a baby carriage. And then hopefully someday we'll make it to heaven and all sit and eat at one table at the wedding and supper of the Lamb. But I skipped a step, didn't I? Did you notice? Jesus didn't get to skip the cross, and neither do we. All virtue in this world has a cruciform shape, and chastity is no different. It is going to feel some days, some years, like a real cross. In periods of absence, in difficult marriages, in unwanted singleness, and in countless other occasions, Christ will call us to pick up our cross and follow him. Unfortunately, we don't get to choose which cross he calls us to die on. In Romans 12, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. But know this. This is how Christ has loved us. He spread his arms out on the cross and said, this is my body given for you. And that is the example we are to live out. I should say to Joel, this is my body given for you. And I think I say that to my kids too in a real way. This is my body given for you. And each one of us, whatever our places in life right now, can say to God, this is my body given for you in return for what Christ has already done for us. St. Augustine said, like a bridegroom, Christ went forth from his nuptial chamber. He came even to the marriage bed of the cross. And there, ascending it, he consummated a marriage. The cross is where Christ gives himself fully to us, body and soul and will. And every week, we celebrate this. Every week we say, Christ, our Passover, Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. We are remembering the wedding supper of the Lamb. And chastity is the virtue of feasting, if we can only see it. Amen. Any questions? Thoughts? Yeah.
1: Sure.
0: Really right.
1: Right. One of the things that came to mind I heard a sermon last week, very end the last story they tell of David in the Bible is hmm. when he purchases Jerusalem. And the guy runs out and says, I'm just gonna give it to you. And and David says, No, I cannot sacrifice to God if it hasn't cost me something. Yes.
0: No, that's, that's very good. Matt.
1: This is just a comment to contextualize what you're saying in regard to what we did last year. Is some people might say, well, you know, John Paul
0: And it is very biblical. I was surprised myself by how, once my eyes were open to it, it's like, oh, this is this That's seems so obvious, but it's not, because I had never heard it. Yes?
1: One of the purposes of marriage is procreation. A um, common response to that would be, what about infertile couples?
0: Yeah, infertility doesn't nullify a marriage. So, it. But you do have to, I don't think we want to separate procreation from marriage entirely. Uh, it, it really is more about being open to God creating life, open to children, rather than whether or not in our fallen world that's actually able to happen. Yeah. Um. Yeah, our faith really does not work without transcendence. We want to make it work as just a good way to live life.
1: Yes.
0: And in some ways, that's true. But it misses the Bible in so many ways. I mean, it misses the cross. It You know, all of the martyrs would testify against that. I mean, there, That's just such a um, shallow understanding of what we're doing. And, and it really hard because we live a world exactly where we don't think about the resurrection or our final end in, at the wedding and supper of the Lamb as having anything to do with how we actually live our life other than just being kind of generally hopeful in life after death. So, yes, it is a challenge for me too. Denise.
2: Right. Um And there's, I think that's very hard for Christians to, you know, yeah, why am I still doing here? Unless we talk about the fact that that's, you know, we're not here because it makes us
0: happier, we're here because it makes us holier. Right. Well, I really wish someone had told me when I was 15 that the reason it's good to be abstinent before you're married is because it gives you good practice because over if you if we expect our marriages to last decades upon decades there's going to be periods like after the birth of a child or when one partner is traveling or during a you know serious illness that you're going to have to abstain and still be faithful and you want to be able to do that you know that the church wants you to have a marriage where you can trust each other and be faithful to each other over the long haul and and so often what I heard was, you know, save yourself for marriage. P.S. assuming we would all get married. And then also like marriage is held up as this like, woo, sex party. You know, like all the time. It's awesome. You know, it's, it's even better if you were pure, you know, like, you know. And that's just not r- really the case. And so we just need to be honest with people. And it really... I mean, I I do have a like a soapbox about this about young people because we do youth no favors if we're not honest. You know, they get to be 25 and or 30 and it just starts to fall apart. Uh, yes. I would love to talk to you about your upbringing with, with the church and, and female values. Yes. And purity. I I I kind of have a soapbox too. I have a <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, we just have a great time in our marriage and, and with our wives, and but and, but you take your kind of thing, and, and so it's as a as a woman in the church and as a young girl in
2: the hmm. church, where your
0: value stands as yes. a sexual being, and you're kind of almost you you can be deteriorated to your just your your what well, what phrase do you use just kind of your your uh, your function. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's where your values stand. I I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, those pastors also needed to learn some chastity, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um over here first. In your Okay, let, let me back up. Um, sex, broadly speaking, has two purposes. It's procreative and it's unitive. Right? It's about, it is, there is a relational coming together component. And I think we have totally forgotten about procreation in our culture, and that's why it's so radical and why I wanted to bring that out. But there is, of course, that other aspect that is the, um, you know, just relational, let's be one, unifying aspect to it. And that would hold the same true for marriage. Um, I found it interesting rereading Genesis, the first few chapters, um, when Adam names all the animals. He, like, discovers his original solitude, okay? He discovers, wait a minute. None of these animals are right for me. Like, you know, these animals are not my equal. They're not my helper. They're not, you know. And so that's the setup. Like, Eve is not an animal. Eve is bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. So, yes, I certainly... Don't want to completely exclude that. Um, so, maybe I should have had a point three, but I tell you, it was it, it was hard to figure out how to balance it. Okay. Well, Jesus was a celibate too, so... Um, why should we listen to, single, or to celibate men about the purpose of marriage? Right, right. Do you have an answer? Yeah. I would also add just on the issue particularly of procreation that every Protestant church was against contraception until less than a hundred years ago the Episcopal church in like the I'd have to look it back up I read it (coughs) at some point Um, 30s yeah yes Uh, And and their statement, which I did read, was actually very limited. It's like, contraception is permissible in marriage in certain conditions. So really, we don't even have to go back that far to find Protestants who would say, well, procreation in marriage is really tightly wound together. Um, And in the vows, I think, I remember Joel... He's got like, what is it, a 1662? You know, if you go to the marriage uh, rite in the old prayer book, procreation is much more prominent uh, there than it is today. Yes? Yes?
2: That, yes. It's almost 100% of the, um, they're all pretty much women that I work with who see marriage as part of, it's a procreative process, it's not, um, just you know, it, it's right. not
0: Yeah. They're
2: living with each other right. and having sex right.
0: for years upon years before getting married. What's yeah, what's interesting there is that they're still holding marriage and children together even though they've separated sex from marriage yeah. and sex yeah. from exactly. children. Exactly. You know, we and that's that's our culture. We have sex, marriage, children like they're all optional things that have nothing to do with each other really. And and the Bible really wants to hold all three of these together and say, no, sex is for marriage, marriage is for children, like, sex is for children, like, all of these things are the same. Okay, Phil? I
2: mean, you would agree, though, that in most cases, most people cannot have the gift of celibacy, and God would want to put that into a commitment. Yes, commit sure, because sure. <laughs> and, you
0: know, it made me be intentional about it, yes. so I with my for years and but no, no, no. so just, if you get rejected,
2: let's go to the next one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Bruce. Oh, is it time? Okay. Thank
2: you.
0: All right. Thank you all.